good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome back from hopefully what was an amazing weekend. Uh, we are continuing our webinar series today. Today is September 25th, 2017. Uh, today's topic is basically defense of occupational exposure claims in New Jersey. My name is Joe Jones. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm. And I have with me today one of my associates in our New Jersey team, Mike Govolino. So welcome. This is part of our regular uh, monthly webinar series. Uh, our New York team presents on the third Monday of every month, and our New Jersey team presents on the fourth Monday. Uh, if you've missed any of our webinars, or if you just want to go back and review some of the amazing ones we've done, uh, we do have an archive on our website. You can uh, go to that, click on it, and you can basically have access to all the webinars we've done. Uh, our firm offers a number of different educational resources to help out our clients or anybody else that's looking for some uh, education in the workers' comp uh, field. Uh, my partner, Greg Lois, uh, pr uh, publishes a handbook. He also uh, publishes a New Jersey practice guide, for, which is a much more in-depth, detailed book on uh, practice in New Jersey. We have the website itself where you uh, can find uh, all the hundreds of articles that our attorneys here at the firm uh, write, as well as, as I mentioned, our webinar archive. And finally, we have a newsletter that the firm produces, and you can get on the list for that as well. Well, it's kind of updates of things that are going on. Sometimes when rates come out, we publish the rates and stuff like that. So uh, all of this is basically sort of our outreach program to help uh, educate people about this topic and about workers' compensation, both in New York and New Jersey. As a reminder, uh, you should have a box on your computer that uh, you can type in questions. Feel free to type in any questions you want about this topic or any topic even. Uh, if we have time at the end of the webinar today, we'll try and get to a few of those. Uh, if not, Mike and I, or I, depending on how many there are, uh, can get back to you by email. Uh, so if you email them to either us or even Greg Lois, he'll forward them to us. Uh, we'll, we'll get you answers to those questions, even if we don't get to it today. Our webinar series is basically broken down, down into a couple different groups. We start off with the basics, which started in like April, May, or June, defenses. Uh, we move on to the benefits section, July and August, we talk about those. And now we're into the sort of trial and advanced concept section of the webinar series, where we talk about IMEs, second injury fund, and obviously our topic today, which is occupational claims. So let's get right to it. Occupational injuries, how are they defined? Uh, section 31 of the statutes in New Jersey defines them uh, as an occupational claim being compensable if it arose out of and in the course of employment. That is the first criteria. The second criteria is if the injury was caused by a condition characteristic of or peculiar to that employment. Uh, and this is important. We're going to talk about this distinction in a second. I just want to highlight here that, um, unfortunately for me and you, as we get older, the natural aging process is not included as, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's specifically excluded as a compensable uh, event. It's just something that all of us have to go through. Okay, so the statute refers to peculiar to, and it basically that the petitioner must show an objective medical or scientific basis establishing a, uh, a causal link peculiar to that particular job. This is by preponderance of the evidence. It's not a high standard to meet, uh, but it is on the petitioner to demonstrate this. The burden's on them to prove this, uh, not on us. There are certain things, let's just go over them, that you might think are peculiar to a particular job, but they're really not, and the courts have found that they're not. Post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, for example, you would think for a police or a fireman or maybe a first responder uh, that these would be particular to that job or peculiar to that job. Uh, but they are not. Uh, the courts actually determined that you know that's something that can be found uh, uh, on any job. Uh, stress is another one. A lot of people think stress is peculiar to certain jobs or certain types of jobs. Attorneys have a lot of stress, uh, but in fact, the courts have found that stress is not peculiar to any job. Every job has stress of different types. Uh, an interesting one to note is sitting, uh, sedentary type work. 
Uh, so you might have a cardiac claim where you indicate that, or you try and prove that you're sitting around all day for 10 hours uh, is something that has caused that cardiac condition. Or even for your back, and I know. Right, yeah. okay, right. Yeah, even the chairs we're sitting on now right now aren't very comfortable, so. <laughs> right, or even a back, something like that. And and the courts have determined even recently that sitting is not peculiar to any job. Okay. Sedentary work and stuff is not something that's peculiar or commensable. Now, when do we see these type claims, okay? So these, these are distinguished, obviously, from your specific event type uh, accidents where somebody slips and falls in a parking lot or gets hurt at work with a machine. Uh, we see these, we like to around the office sort of call them retirement claims because we often see them when someone is leaving a job, uh, they've been laid off from a job, they're quitting a job, they're retiring, or if you even have a plant closure, they close a whole plant and all of a sudden there's a flood, everybody's got an occupational claim when that plant closes. You know. uh, these are often brought to us uh, as a result of usually people having those events happen in their lives, going to see an attorney, mm -hmm. uh, and then that attorney advises them, look, yeah, you probably have some kind of occupational claim, why don't you file? Uh, it also happens sometimes when uh, someone will go to file like social security disability application, yeah. and the attorney will sometimes suggest as part of that application process yeah, that they file, right, just to see if there's anything there. Yeah. Um, how do we recognize these? When do we see them, Mike? Okay, so what, yeah, what do we find, uh, how do we know it's an occupational claim? Well, the easiest way is to look on the actual claim petition. As you can see on this claim petition, there's a little box. I mean, it's pretty clear. It says occupational disease, yes or no. You know, obviously it's yes, it is. Uh, even next to it, it has a little box for periods of exposure. So, you know, there the petitioner's counsel would have And these are filled out accurately 100% all the time, right? Well, <laughs> no, not really. I hope so, but it's not necessarily <laughs> the case. Uh, this form can be found right on the website, the New Jersey Workers' Compensation website. Uh, and it, this is actually a nice form. We like this one because it's really clear. Right. Not all the forms are so clear. And uh, you don't have to use this form. There's other forms you can use, which kind of like blur the lines between occupational disease or not. Uh, some attorneys are a little sloppy when they do it. You know, they're just. They'll not forget to purpose. check the box or they'll check the wrong one. You know, they just they won't spell it out clearly. Right. Uh, but some attorneys do it on purpose. Uh, you know, they think they're sly. They want to put uh, a specific injury instead of occupational to potentially avoid the statute of limitations defense. Okay. Because they put down a specific, they can pin down, pin down a date. It, you know, they may think it helps them. Yeah, and we've that. and we've seen these where sometimes even the occupational disease box is checked off, but then when you look at the the form where it says if the occupational disease give the periods of exposure, and one date will be listed. I see there. It all the time. Yeah, yes. and it's a little confusing because you're like, well, is it a specific event or is it? You just assume that's the last date of the exposure. Right, and oftentimes that's what the attorneys do. Yeah. So. So uh, the injury types, what we're talking about for occupational um, claims are generally repetitive traumas and occupational exposure cases, but there are uh, many different kinds. There's like mental, physical, uh, idiopathic, chemical exposure, assault. But today we're just focusing on occupational and repetitive trauma. Right, and to be clear, like the mental, the, the types of mental, physical, chemical exposure, assault types, those are more specific event type things that happen. You can have yeah. a, a physical injury take place at work. These claims are more of your either really two categories, either your repetitive trauma, mm -hmm. like your uh, carpal tunnel, yes. maybe typing or doing repetitive motion all day long, or your occupational claims like your cardio claims or your uh, pulmonary claims where people are yeah, saying that asbestos be, or something like that is causing. They could be both, like chemical exposure, that could be a specific all right. so now, or occupation. Right. Okay, so now we get these claims in, uh, our job is to now defend them, so defend what them, do yes. we do for that? So, uh, defending occupational. Um, there are generally four types, right? So we have the statute of limitations, notice, last exposure, bond doctrine, the medical evidence, and cost relationship. Okay. Uh, but in general, we uh, raise all four of them for every occupational. Right. Uh, the reason we do this is because the petitioner's counsel has the burden of proof. Like they have to prove it. 
so the, so we're denying these, is what you're saying. We deny every single one. Right. You, I mean, you should. Not everyone, but you should pretty much think about denying every single one for that okay. reason, because they have the burden. They have to prove. Deny it. Let them prove their case and exactly. see if they have enough evidence. Okay. So the statute of limitations is found in Section 40, 34, excuse me, of the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Act. What it essentially says is that the petitioner has two years from the date they knew or should have known that they were exposed. Um, this, in general, for employers, is pretty hard to defend. Uh, the reason is that the petitioner can essentially say, like, I just found out I had exposure. Right. It's How really, could I have possibly known that that, uh, that comes yeah. from it? Meanwhile, yeah. he knew seven years ago and just never said anything. So really the only way, not the only way, but the best way for us to defend it would be like to look in the medical records. Say he went to the doctor five years ago and he mentioned, like, I'm having lung issues, and now he's saying he never did. Right. Well, we can point to the medical records. Okay. And All right. But not, a, not an easy one to win for us no, on it's not uh, an easy one. defense. And we also have notice. This is another one where we pretty much have no chance yeah. of, of winning with this. Um, the statute itself calls for 90 days notice to the employer, to the respondent, uh, of the occupational claim. This almost exclusively never happens. Mm -hmm. the, uh, usually the occupational claims, almost exclusive, almost 100% of the occupational claims we get are the CP being filed as the first notice to the, to the employer. Um, oftentimes, as you indicated, the employees themselves don't know, so they can't give notice if they don't know. Um, or if the, a plant closing, there's nobody to tell. I mean, there's just all kinds of problems, and, and the, the courts have essentially, through case law, yeah. eliminated this as a defense for us. We still raise it, and maybe you get lucky and you have the right sort of circumstances, but uh, by and large, it's, it's really not effective in terms of the defense. All right, we get the last exposure or bond doctrine. Um, this one, you, you've probably heard, I've heard it a million times, employers always say, like, well, we're not last. We're not last in line, so right. they're last in line, they have to pay. And, uh, this is often an argument between respondents in the same court. Well, he's exactly, last in line, not exactly. me. Yeah. Yeah. So the rule in New Jersey is where there has been excessive exposure or exposure through multiple employers, the employer that was on the risk when the condition was detected will be the employer that is exposed for the for workers' compensation purposes. So, you know, if he has an, an illness going through years, the last employer generally is on the hook or last in line, as you would say. Okay. So, and this leads us into sort of our last defense, which is which is an important uh, uh, tactic we have to use when, in fact, we are last in line. Mm -hmm. If the case, if the facts and circumstances put us last in line, our job is to try and now shift the focus to some other respondent yeah, as being the responsible one. Right. And so your medical diagnosis and, and causal relationship sort of arguments come in of trying to pinpoint uh, maybe a, pe a period of manifestation where those injuries started to occur. Mm -hmm. And if we can point to that in our medical records as, no, it's not us, less than line, it's four years ago, that employer, then it, it could potentially get us off the hook. So what's important here in that in figuring out that defense is always an IME. It's really important to have a good IME um, to comment on causal relationship uh, in terms of the injury versus uh, the type of job that we had or the employee had. Uh, obtaining the employee's complete medical history is really important. We have to know everything that person went through, um, especially usually their their treat their regular doctor that they go to see for their colds and mm -hmm. when they have the flu and stuff like that. They have a lot of a lot of good information to be found in those records. Um, the purpose for this again is to obtain information that's going to show the conditions pre-existing or was starting to manifest during a time period that's not us, not the last in line. Um, the petitioners when they submit their reports, their IMEs uh, are often kind of pathetic, if I can be honest about it. Um, they have all kinds of theories, not, not, not even based on science as to why uh, we're on the hook for the injury. 
there's sometimes a, a synergistic exposure, essentially that, you know, maybe one percent or a little bit of exposure at our location of employment uh, added into the fact that they're a heavy smoker and they yeah. smoked for their whole life, and that combination of things synergistically resulted in them getting that illness. Um, that there's the single molecule theory, which is a little bit ridiculous. It's uh, probably not used so much as, anymore. Um, one single molecule of a particular type of toxin or something present in that environment, you know, is the reason for all the cancer caused at that yeah. particular uh, 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 employment or location. Um, this one comes up a lot, actually, net opinions. So a net opinion is when a doctor essentially gives an opinion not based on any objective medical evidence. Mm -hmm. uh, this person worked at this place of employment. They have cancer. Working there must have caused their cancer. It's kind of like a third-grade mentality um, <laughs> type of thinking. But um, if there's no objective evidence of these uh, things, uh, we often see the net opinions in the petitioner's IMEs. They're just—they're not given a lot of information. The doctors are like, "Well, you know, he's—he's he's got uh, cancer and he's got a pulmonary issue, and it must have come from the employer." And there's really no medical evidence that they base those opinions on. That's called a net opinion. It's not something that. Uh, uh, should be accepted, and we should certainly uh, fight those. Uh, the standard, essentially, in New Jersey is that causation by an appreciable degree or a degree substantially greater than de minimis. So if that's the, the, that's the language the doctors should be using on the petitioner's end to try and get us on the hook for this injury, and of course, that's the language we have to fight against uh, in terms of our own IMEs. So how do we defend these? The facts. Facts are really yeah. important in every one of these cases. Um, you have to know the type of environment the person's in, type of job they do, um, and then once you go through the facts and we can sort of come up with our scenario of why we're going to deny based on facts, then you got to look at the law. And you got to look at, again, like the sort of, like go back for a second, the appreciable degree or, or degree substantially greater than de minimis, and what all the case law says in terms of uh, finding out whether this is an occupational claim yeah. or not. Was there actual exposure? Well, what, what can we do as the employer to sort of figure that out? Well, we can, um, you know, we have to get HIPAAs, and then we can send them out, and we can get the medical records, like you said. Uh, we can contact OSHA. These are all, everything listed here is all uh, well, available. Right, and as the employer, we're sort of in a unique position, I think, to have a lot of the facts of what went on in this occupational claim, yeah. right? We know our job site. Uh, we know what kind of environment's there. Uh, throughout various things, OSHA reports and air quality testing and stuff, we can have, sometimes these things are done on a regular basis or inspections take place. Exactly. And the reports produced as a result of that can often help us uh, in, in fighting a claim. Yeah, so maybe for me, step one would be deny it, right? We always deny, we always challenge it. There's a few reasons why we do this, right? So we deny it because the burden of proof is on the petitioner. Right. The second reason we deny it is that we want a section 20. So, so well, every, everything's always the same for a section 20. So yeah. set up for a section 20. And the third reason is we should know more than the petitioner. Right. It's our company. We know what's going on there. Doesn't make sense. Was this exposure? Does this make any sense at all? Like, did they actually obtain this illness from your company? So we should know what's going on. So we should be in the driver's seat in the situation. Right. And then through these different uh, types of reports and testing, quality reports and stuff, uh, we can yeah. again well, we don't, sort of. If we don't out. have the information, this is what we should right. obtain. Right. Okay. Discovery. Discovery in occupational claims is extremely important. It's really you got to do your homework here. Uh, there's a couple different ways we can get information mm -hmm. uh, besides the ways you just re referenced in terms of the OSHA reports and stuff like that. Uh, but in terms of particular to the petitioner, request for medical information. Mm -hmm. Get as many meds as we possibly can. Uh, HIPAA forms are sent out. They're signed. Uh, we will subpoena any record we find uh, for any type of treatment they've had over the course of their entire lifetime. 
Uh, and one of the really effective tools that the courts in New Jersey allow us to use are interrogatories. We get to send occupational claim interrogatories asking the petitioner specifically, tell me every doctor you've ever treated with, every type of disease you've had, every type of illness you've had, give me the time you went there, and then we can, that sort of sets off our HIPAA uh, release form subpoena process to gather all those medical records, collect all that information, um, and determine exactly what's going on in that person's past, again, to try and shift the focus off of us as being the cause of that person's injuries. Um, another good area to look for uh, is the personnel file. You get that from the employer. Uh, oftentimes, the employers have maybe annual exams. Um, a, an employer, somebody who has a CDL license, for example, they have to go through a physical exam to get that CDL. That might be part of the personnel file and, and on file with the employer. So that information is important. Uh, and oftentimes, you get information uh, cross-examining the petitioner. When you got them on the stand, you start to get information. They reveal, oh, yeah, I also had this back in 1985. Um, and maybe that didn't show up in the medical records, that's another area you could potentially explore. So it's really important to get all your discovery done, get as much information as you possibly can. Uh, okay, so selecting the IMEs, yeah. uh, I mean doctors, uh, this is very important. You want to make sure you spend your time and pick out a, a correct IME doctor. Um, so, because you want to find an expert that is appropriate for your particular case. So uh, an example is like a pulmonary, if you have like a lung issue. Right. You don't want an ortho looking at your guy when he's got a pulmonary counsel, disease. Yeah, a lot of district councils, they'll go and they'll get just a general practitioner, general surgeon. Right. Uh, we try not to do that. We want to get a pulmonologist, someone who's actually experienced in that area of law. Um, another a big thing we like to do is get an IME cover letter and send it to the IME physician right. so we can list all the medical right. records, the workers, the workers' history, everything, so he has a better understanding of the petitioner's history. Right. And this is something I'd recommend if you are a carrier or you're a, a risk professional or something, talk to your attorneys about that because if the attorneys should at least, I mean, we do all the time, we offer the service of providing that cover letter. You want to basically set forth, as you said, the history of that, all that medical, all the medical records leading up to uh, the diagnosis and the, the causal relationship you're asking that doctor to comment on so that they have a clear, because sometimes, I mean, we want obviously the doctors to review every medical record. Mm -hmm. Whether they do or not, I don't know, but your letter will at least give them a brief synopsis of everything that's gone Sometimes on. Sometimes the medical records are unbearable. Right, yeah, they're, the right volumes and volumes of yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it's important that the, the appropriate cover letter be provided to at least give them that background to the doctor uh, for sort of a quick reference at a minimum uh, before they do the exam. So we uh, also get to cross-examine the petitioner's IME doctor, which is very nice. Uh, what we'd like to do is prep and advance our own expert Right. to focus in on the questions we want to ask the opposing expert. Right. To, you know, so we can get a better understanding of our attack, how we're going to attack the IME physician. Uh, we try to focus on the objective scientific evidence, which a lot of times the petitioners, IME doctors don't. Right. So we like to attack them there. Uh, we cross on subject, subjectivity of exposures. Uh, you know, we like to attack them on existing medical, scientific, uh, by Epidemiological studies. Regarding <laughs> causation and prevailing medical standards. Right, okay. Right, and you're right. And in prepping your own witness, uh, your own doctor, it's good to go over the areas of cross-examination with him, yeah. the potential weaknesses in what his opinion is or her opinion, um, because they're going to get that inevitably from the other attorney. So, yeah, it's definitely something to, to spend a lot of time on prepping your witnesses. And that's, that's true of expert witnesses or even lay witnesses. Uh, essentially, uh, this all boils down to trial or settlement. Closing these claims in New Jersey can happen really one of three ways. You go to trial, to a judgment where a judge decides whether or not there's an occupational uh, exposure. 
you compromise Section 20. That is our favorite way, obviously, to resolve these. Mm -hmm. uh, or dis well, I shouldn't say that. A dismissal is probably our favorite way to resolve it's these. True. You don't pay any money. Yeah. But uh, often, I think I would say 95% are, are Section 20 settlements. Yeah. And as part of your investigation and your uh, uh, discovery process, you're really setting it up as much as possible for a Section 20 settlement. That's the rule. Um, one last note I wanted to make before we take any questions uh, is surveillance. Um, surveillance, we, we advocate surveillance a lot during our uh, other webinars that we do in terms of trying to find out about the petitioner. These occupational claims are less time is spent about the actual injury and what the value of that is and more time spent on whether or not we should be paying an occupational because there is no occupational exposure. Surveillance doesn't really help a lot in this area. Uh, seeing you know the guy walk down the street uh, and, and go shopping and stuff like that doesn't really help us a lot yeah, in terms of that. Uh, but what, what might be important is if it's a really significant disability, uh, surveillance may become important, and self-surveillance. Everybody's on Facebook, everybody's in social media, telling the world about all the millions exactly. of things they're doing. So it is, it is worth taking a look at, I suppose, but usually there's not a lot of uh, gold to be mined here in yeah, terms of uh, fighting the occupational claims. Okay. Uh, that basically, I think, concludes our webinar. Um, let's see if we, we do have time for questions. Let's see if we have any questions. Do you have any questions? Let's see. Nope. Nope. None. No questions. I can't believe we did that good of a job that no one has a question. All right, so send us uh, an email if you think of a question later on. Could be because you're, you know, getting ready to jump out to lunch and you really don't want to ask questions and take time for that, and that's no problem. Uh, email either myself or Mike. We'll get back to you with any the answers to any questions you might have. Uh, thank you so much uh, for giving uh, allowing us to yeah, present this you. topic. Uh, as a reminder, next month's topic is the effective use of IMEs. It is on October 23rd, uh, 2017, for New Jersey. Uh, the third Monday will be, of course, New York's uh, webinar on the same topic. Uh, I don't remember who's presenting. It might be me, either me or you or yeah. one of us. But uh, we'll figure that out, and we'll certainly see you next month. And uh, great. Have a good day. Thanks, guys.